If you or a loved one has a hoarding problem, let's work together on a solution. Hello, everyone. Thank you for stopping by the Hoarding Solution podcast today. Today, our guest is Maxwell Ivy Jr., and he is the blind blogger, and he has um, the tagline, what's your excuse? And I love that because um, a lot of us find excuses, and I can't think of having any when I think of all the work that Max does. So thank you for being here today with us. Well, thank you, Tammy. I appreciate you having me on the show, and I'm looking forward to you know us having a great conversation, and and hopefully we will help some people uh, recognize and overcome those excuses that are holding them back. Yes, I I love that the fact that that is kind of your focus, and the sweatshirt that you had sent me a while back. Uh, I love to wear that <laughs> because people look at me like. Who are you to walk around with something like what's your excuse but i think it's kind of funny <laughs> but true i like, like it i like it i'm glad you like it i i think what's really interesting about this what's your excuse thing is that it was not my idea uh as i started blogging first to promote used amusement equipment on the midway marketplace website which was my first website and i still use it but i don't i'm not as active there because i'm spending more time blogging and writing about uh, about my travels and and hope and teaching other people life lessons, but uh, as I would be working and uh, sharing online, uh, especially as social media came along, people started referring to me as the blind blogger, and they started saying, "If if Max can do it, then what's my excuse?" And I even had some people who posted. They said, "I told I told my friend or my neighbor or my cousin." The, the stuff you're doing. And I told him if, if he can do it, then what's your excuse? And so uh, when it came time to create a brand and a podcast, I tried really hard not to be what's your excuse. I, I had a, a social media thing where I was looking for other names. I, you know, told people that they would, would get the right to say they named the podcast and that sort of, and nobody went for it. So I was just smart enough to realize that there wasn't anything better, that this was perfect, and I should just say thank you and, and, and go with it, which I have. And, uh, you know, this podcast is called What's Your Excuse? People still say if Mike's can do it, then what's my excuse? And uh, the funny thing is, is there are there have been times recently where I have been making excuses in my own life, and this is kind of a of a everyday reminder that, I need to constantly be on the, on the watch for excuses I make to myself. So it's it's been really interesting that something I didn't ask for has become a thing, and to the point that some days people will go, "Well, Max, why ha why don't you want to do something? Aren't you the what's your excuse guy?" And I'll go, "Just because I can doesn't mean that I want to, or that I need to, or that I'm going to do it anytime soon." And people laugh at me when I tell them I have no plans to jump out of airplanes or swim with sharks or whitewater raft above a, above a, you know, level one water. I, I have no interest in risking my life to, uh, for, for adventure when there are so many adventures and experiences all around us that don't require real risk. <laughs> well, and I, that's a good point because like when I was younger, 
like I don't think I thought about death like dying like if I did something like if I went water white water rafting or rode on the back of a motorcycle like I I was just having fun right I wasn't yeah. concerned about it but yeah. now that I'm older I'm like hmm is that something I actually want to do like is that worth the risk I want to take you know if that was my last risk is that the one that I would have been happy I chose <laughs> yeah and also is it a risk that moves you closer towards your goals just because other people find it exciting and think they have to do it does that mean it fits where you are at this moment and where you're trying to get to and that's really true like because I think we get on this comparison thing about what other people are doing and then we're comparing our journey to theirs and in general most of us are not on the same journey like we have totally different paths and objectives and totally different experiences that got us to where we are now yeah and i think it's interesting you mentioned comparison there because one of the problems i had in the beginning with starting the website as the blind blogger and, and sharing my experiences was I felt like there were other people out there who were visually impaired or had disabilities that were doing uh, bigger, more important things than I was. And some of my, uh, some of my online, or uh, I guess you'd say uh, blind heroes over the, over those few years would have been like Eric Wehamir, who's a, an adventurer that's climbed Everest and whitewater rafted through the Grand Canyon. Uh, Rachel Skidoris, who's uh, completed the Iditarod a couple of times. Uh, Tom Sullivan, who is a musician and filmmaker that's traveled the world multiple times. And what I finally realized is just what you were saying is that they were on their path. They were farther along the path than I was. We had different goals. And that just because mine didn't seem as impressive or important as what they were doing didn't mean it was any less inspirational or that I should keep it to myself because it wasn't a big enough story. And the funny thing is, is that if you talk to most people, there are a whole lot more people out there who aspire to public speaking or blogging or starting a podcast or starting an online business than there are people who aspire to climb Everest. Well, and that, and that's true. And I think there's people that have a story an experience and something that would be beneficial to share with others but they're like they're afraid they're afraid to take that first step so what would you say is the first step someone should take if they're starting a new adventure I mean like you travel like by yourself and that's I mean I do it with with glasses I can't imagine doing it having to rely so much on well, frankly, other people. <laughs> yeah, I, that's one of those things I have to remind myself of that or I forget how, uh, how impressive it is that I have traveled by myself. Uh, I get caught between those, those blind people I know who, who, who have traveled even more or do it more independently than I do. But then I remind myself we all have our own way of, of finding those solutions. My, uh, other people, their solution may be to get a map, memorize the route, uh, show up early, use their white cane to find their landmarks, uh, whether those landmarks are, are auditory or physical or uh, 
certain scents that they can re remember come from a, a certain part of a building or, or, or a route. And they practice, they count steps, they do all that stuff, and they are totally independent. That's not my way. My approach is to show up, uh, stand around until somebody asks me if I need help, or uh, go to the a group of people that I see or hear standing around each other and ask one of them for help, and then just follow the first person that's willing to give me their shoulder to the next place in my destination. And you know, whenever I think about that, I'm like, yeah, you know, Max, that probably would scare the hell out of a lot of people to think that you're going to put your trust in somebody you just met 30 seconds ago. But for some reason, it, it doesn't bother me. And I think the reason it doesn't bother me is there's been so many times in my life where uh, people showed up to help, they provided assistance, encouragement. And I've come to understand that people that we, we meet the people we expect to meet. And Thankfully, I expect to meet good people who want to help me get to my destination. And most of the time, that's that's who I've run across. And I know that's probably foreign to a lot of people. But when, you, when you're talking about starting something new, the most important thing to remember is, is, is don't wait until you think it's good enough to start putting it out into the world. Don't wait until you think you're ready to actually start the the first post I wrote for the blindblogger.net was titled, I think I'm ready to be an inspiration because I still wasn't exactly sure why people found me inspirational, but I went ahead and started the blog. When I did my first podcast recording, I didn't think of it as a podcast. I thought I'm just going to record a video to tell people about my website or about this new ride that's coming in in hopes that it will help sell that piece of equipment. So since I told myself, hey, I'm just recording a video, I didn't think it was a podcast. I really wasn't scared of it. I think if I had said, okay, Max, we're going to record a podcast about the amusement industry, I think it may have been harder for me to actually get started. So be careful with the words you use. I mean, we often scare and overwhelm ourselves because of how we talk about something or how we think about something. And I'll give you a good example. My friendship, Edwards, is a very talented public speaker. He's an expert on voice branding, and he's spoken at, you know, word camps and pod, podcasting uh, conferences all over the country. Even now, he will tell you he's not a speaker. He's a teacher. And he goes to the microphone to teach people the information he's familiar with as it relates to Alexa and Google and those types of platforms. He's found a way to use a word that's not as scary but still accomplish the same thing. So a lot of times it does come down to how we talk to ourselves, the words we use, how we feel about those words. And the real key is to do whatever you have to do not to overwhelm yourself, to, uh, for, you know, to, to start as small as you can start, to actually do what you can do today and not worry about all that stuff that you can't do or can't do anything about for the present. And I like to remind myself of when I started my first website, the Midway Marketplace. I started in 2007 by filing for a domain name, not knowing how I was going to build a website. But after I had the domain name, uh, I learned about the W3C.org schools. I went through their tutorials, and I figured out how to build a website. After I had the website, people said, you need to have a blog. So I figured out how to post that blog using software called Mars Edit at the time. Then they said, you know, you need to be on Facebook. So I started using Facebook and 
people weren't opening emails for the business. So somebody said, you need to have a, a reason like they, a, a lead magnet is what it's called. So you give people something to make them want to open emails. And I built an email list. Uh, you know, people said you should have, you should record uh, videos or you should post videos. So instead of just posting other people's videos, I started recording some of my own. And that meant, you know, finding a camera, figuring out how to, how to set my screen so that my laptop would record me mostly in focus. So what I would advise people to do is to think about the, the thing it is they want to do and then break it down into as many pieces as possible. But don't let the pile of stuff overwhelm you. What you want to do, and I like to call it my rule of four, is make a list of everything you think you will need to, to have, learn, or do. Uh, don't worry about how much is on there because there'll be things you forget or don't realize that you need. And you want to ask yourself a question about each one. The first question is, can I do this now? If you can do something about it now, you take action, you cross it off the list and go on to something else. If you can't do it, then can you learn how to do it? And if it's something you feel you can learn how to do it, then you sign up for the course, you reach out to a mentor, you start listening to the podcast or the YouTube videos, however you learn. If you can learn it, start learning it. If you can't do it or learn how to do it, can you get somebody to do it for you? And that can mean hiring somebody to do it on a contract basis, but it can also mean just asking for help from friends and neighbors, family members, other people online. I've been helped quite a bit over my career by other podcasters, authors, and bloggers that I've met on the internet. So if you can't do it and you can't learn how to do it and you can't farm it out to somebody else, then you just ignore it. You put it off to the side and focus on the things you can do something about and as you grow as a person, a blogger, a podcaster, a business person, a lot of those things you're going to be able to move to other categories, or even better yet, you realize you didn't need those things in the first place to accomplish your goal. And I love that idea of asking those questions, like, and learning in some cases to delegate, uh, because I find personally that I've been a control freak about lots of things. And actually being able to say, you know, I'm kind of tired of trying to do this by myself. Like uh, I make my list and then I start looking at either A, like you're saying, ignore it or B, can I delegate it or can I delete it? Like, do I not even need to do this thing? Which to me comes under ignore. Like, do I even need it? And I think it's so true that you can start something like where you are. Like you don't have to be an, uh, an expert. And the other part I wanted to mention about what you talk about to yourself, what you say to yourself, and the term networking terrified me when I started a business. <laughs> like, what the hell does that mean? Does that mean I have to run through the whole, you know, space and collect business cards from everybody? And it seemed like that was the idea for some of these people. And I started to look at, well, I can have a conversation. I can have a relationship. I can meet quality people. And that is now how I approach events. I have a vague memory of being at one a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's about the connections and the relationships. It isn't about 
can you be a speed racer through this event? It's, it's more effective if you can create relationships, which is something I think you do very well, is you're cultivating relationships and connections. And I think that that is something that's very valuable when you're at a space when you need to be asking for help. You can do that because you've spent the time cultivating that no like and trust factor. Right, right. Well, you know, I, I appreciate what you're saying about being at a an event in person or even some virtual events. They're doing networking. And there has been this whole thing. You have to have that, you know, three-minute elevator pitch. You have to talk to as many people as you can and give out as many business cards as you can. And thankfully, the smart people in the room are starting to tell people, no, it's not about how many people you run into. It's about the relationships you can that you can build, the connections you can make. <clears throat> and I think it's I think it's interesting how many myths we are starting to see just totally destroyed. Like, you know, the one about networking, it's it's about the number of people you can meet. Social media, it's about the number of followers, whereas now smart people are starting to say it's not the number of people who follow you it's the number of people who follow you loyally who will actually care about you and take action on your behalf uh, I can remember a time when I you know four or five years ago there were still a majority of bloggers saying that you had to post something new every day and it had to be unique content it couldn't be you know repurposing content it couldn't be posting about uh, about an interview or a a speech you had given, it had to be all new content every day, 365 days a year. Thankfully, we've gotten rid of that one too. But there's so many places where the experts have steered people wrong. They've frustrated average people. They've made them so tired, aggravated, cranky, confused that a lot of people quit when they would have kept going. And a lot of this is on the quote experts who you know, say that this is the way you really should be doing it. And the one other thing I wanted to talk about but for, for what you were saying there is you said that there were things that you realized you didn't need to be doing. I think that's what you said. I, a friend of mine, Alex Accordi, is a very wise woman. And she told me several years ago, she said, Max, the really successful people don't do more or do it better every day. The really successful people find ways to do less every day. They find ways to eliminate things that aren't serving their purpose. If something is is stealing their joy, then they're going to see if somebody will do it for them, or they're going to have a conversation with themselves and say, okay, is this something I really have to be doing or something that just everybody else says I have to be doing? And you know, for me personally, I have a great example about that that's kind of on both sides of the fence. It's a little bit about uh, under, uncovering an excuse I was making, but it's a little bit about this decision. Uh, in 2017, I was posting my podcast, The What's Your Excuse Show, to, uh, to, to Facebook, YouTube, and to uh, a hosting platform. So it went out on Apple and Stitcher and the other places people listen to podcasts. But the process for uploading the audio got to be very frustrating. It was, it was taking away my joy of having these conversations with people, which I love talking to people and having conversations just like you do. And it was causing me not to record, not to schedule guests, not to upload the interviews I'd already done. So I asked myself, I said, is there anything that says 
that my interviews have to go out on audio. And my decision was absolutely not. So for two years, I posted to Facebook and YouTube, which, you know, on the one hand, allowed me to keep going and to, to stay positive and, and continue creating the content. On the other hand, it was kind of an excuse. It was me saying, well, I can't do this, so I'm not going to do it. And then last summer, I went to present some uh, training for visually impaired people in Wichita, Kansas at an event called Level Up, put on by an organization called Envisions. And it was a bunch of high school and first-year college students who were visually impaired, different levels of, of blindness. And during the course of the week, I trained them on interview skills and tying a tie and shaving and things like that. But during the week, they showed me that I had been playing it safe because these kids, their goals at that age are uh, to be in fields like aerospace, aviation, electrical engineering, culinary arts, audio and video production. It was only a week that they focused on these things, but these are their goals. And I came home and I said, you know, Max, if they can see themselves doing those kinds of crazy things, and in my mind, a lot of that stuff is crazy looking at it from my point of view, based on what blind people did when I graduated from high school 30 plus years ago, I said, if they can do this, then there has to be a way for you to get your audio back out in the world where people can hear you as well as see you. And so I started asking my other visually impaired friends who have podcasts and they steered me to Blubbery. Uh, I was able to set up the podcast on that platform very easily and to create new episodes and post them to my website easily. And the tech guy even spent an hour, Todd, I can't think of his last name, but everybody knows Blubbery knows Todd. He's the head of their tech support guy. He was actually on Zoom with me for 50, over 50 minutes to make sure that I had gotten it all set up correctly and wouldn't have any problems. So I, since July of last year, people can now listen in audio again. And just this week, I broke 2,000 downloads, which 2,000 downloads for a year, I love it. I am excited about it. I think it's just the beginning. Other people, 2,000 downloads for a year, they'd be suicidal. They'd be drinking whiskey or eating ice cream out of the carton, you know, but, uh, but yeah. <laughs> I'm we celebrating. Have to, we, well, yeah, but it's, it's all about those decisions. On the one hand, I decided I didn't need to do audio. And then on the other hand, I decided, okay, I'm at this point where, where I'm no longer willing to live with that excuse. And I did something about it. And I think for me, like I have to get mad. And I've had people in my life say, well, you don't do anything until you get ticked off. And I was like, huh, I thought it was an interesting <laughs> observation. And then I had to go back and look at decisions I had made over my life. And I was like, that's pretty accurate, actually. I get fed up and then I make a change. And so I had to learn that I had to do that meant for myself. Like I had to not let outside sources dictate my actions. I had to decide what actions I was going to take. And it was like this real wake up call when you start to realize that like you're responsible for you and your life and what you're doing or not doing. And I think once you start to lean into that, that just shifts everything. Once you start to figure out you've been making excuses for yourself or, and maybe for others and, there's things you should be doing and things you shouldn't be doing. And you have to start really reevaluating that. So like you're saying, you can do less, like work smarter, not harder. 
And yeah. I heard that in my 20s and I don't really think I figured it out until my 40s, you know? I mean, so yeah. it's, it's all a process. It's all a journey. And w when I see the massive actions that you have taken, it encourages me. It, it inspires me to be like, well, he figured it out, like somehow, <laughs> um, maybe I can too. And but I think it's really important to look at, like you're saying, is it something I have to do? Is it something I can learn, you know, or is it something that really I should delegate or find someone else? Like, and then you find amazing people like the guy who jumped on the Zoom call with you to make sure everything was working right. Like that is, you're calling in that level of help once you start deciding that you're going to, to go a little bigger. Right, right. And, you know, as I'm hearing you talk about how some of the things you've done in your own life only happened when you got mad, I would say then, you know, my next thought is, well, is there some way that Tammy can basically piss herself off as opposed to other people making you angry to the point that you do something? I just wonder if, you know, maybe like the Hulk, you know, where Tammy can go, okay, I, I am really mad at this website. I'm going to do something about this. And I'm just, it's just the kind of things that occur to me in my, in my crazy way of thinking. But it's that, it's that motivation and then channeling it. Like you take that Hulk feeling and channel it into something positive. And I know like some people will say like positive affirmations don't work. I disagree with that because I think it's a matter of changing what you say to yourself and taking something negative, like I'm stupid and saying, you know, I, today I made smart decisions or something like that. You're shifting what you're saying to yourself because thoughts become things and right, you need right. to figure out what are you saying to yourself that's not working. And so I am learning now as I <clears throat> get wiser, hopefully to recognize that, hey, this is really not okay. And this is what I could do. This is an action I could take. So I think you have to have mindset shift, which allows you to change your thoughts, which allows you to start doing things differently and calling different things into your life. So it isn't just one thing. You have to shift the mindset, but then you also have to take the aligned action toward the goals that you're setting. And so I think there's a misconception about, oh, I can just tell the universe I want a blue BMW, which I do, but that's <laughs> not going to happen unless I take aligned action along the yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> now, I've actually written on the topic of why affirmations don't work, because for most people, they don't work. But for most people, a lot of things don't work. And, and <laughs> I, think I think I've figured out why they don't work, because the People that are telling them to use affirmations or telling them to use a vision board or telling them about the law of attraction, whatever it is that that person is teaching, they fail to make it clear that it's not going to work today or tomorrow. I mean, if you need $5,000, um, you, can, you can envision it all the heck you want. You're not going to get $5,000 within the next 24 hours. The odds are that isn't happening. Most of this stuff takes, uh, it takes a lot of practice before it starts to work. And 
I like to tell people I'm good at a lot of this stuff because I've spent a lot of time on my backside looking up at the sky because I've done stuff that didn't work out so great. So in the area of affirmations, I love how you explain it because I agree with you. You have to start first by recognizing when you say negative things about yourself. And then when you catch yourself saying those negative things, you have to also say some positive things. And if you continue doing that over time, eventually you will say less and less negative things about yourself and more and more positive things. But it's going to take a long time. It's going to take practice and a decision on your part to make finding positive things to say about yourself part of the way you deal with your, with your own personal conversations. And I like to look at it like a seesaw or teeter-totter. And I'm going to have to come up with a better reference because most people don't know what the heck a seesaw is. You know, but basically, <laughs> if, okay, you know, so the more weight you have on one side, the, the that side goes down and, and the other side goes up. So the goal is to have as few negative sayings about yourself and as many positives. I mean, you never get to the point where you don't ever say nothing bad about yourself. At least I don't think that happens to anybody except maybe, uh, you know, maybe Wayne Dyer when he was alive. I don't know. Uh, you know, but the goal is, you know what, you want the, 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 the negative side of the teeter-totter or the negative side of the scale to be as close to the ground as possible. And the positive things you say about yourself, that side of the teeter-totter or that side of the scale is as high up in the air as possible. But it starts by just realizing you're saying negative things about yourself, stopping yourself. Because even learning to stop yourself from continuing to say crap about you and your abilities takes practice and effort. And then once you get to that point, then you can start replacing a lot of those negatives with positives. Or at the very least, you can say, well, I'm a terrible person. And then you can go, oh, I'm a great person. And here's why. So that's why I think that affirmations don't work and, and how I think they will work for people. But it does take practice over time before you will get to the point where you can see a lot of things about yourself in a more positive aspect. And again, don't, don't feel terrible about yourself because you had a, a bad minute, hour, or day where you used horrible words about yourself as long as, you, as long as you recognized it and moved on. And, you know, one of the things I'm known for is, is being able to find the positive in, in negative situations. And I like to tell people it's like finding anything else. How do you find your car keys or your smartphone or your TV remote? The first thing you do is you know it's there somewhere. And then you just keep looking for it until you find it. And if you can't find it on your own, then you ask the family to come in and help you find it. And every once in a while, we got desperate enough, we'd even ask the dog to help look. But you start by knowing it's there and you keep looking until you find it. That's the way it is with, with positive events, experiences, people. Uh, and some days you have to look really, really hard to find that one good thing that happened to you during the day. And sometimes you have to get help. You have to share your experiences with somebody you trust very, uh, very dearly and have them help you see whatever good that came from a particular experience. And it, it's a decision. It takes practice. It takes effort. And Unfortunately, we have a lot of people who will tell you, well, you just, you know, just, just look for the positive. It's there, you know, just see the good in life. It's there. And yeah, you can do it. But 
it takes practice, it takes effort, and it takes a decision. And that's where where a lot of things are in life. Unfortunately, we are a very uh, instant gratification culture. We want to have things be better now. And unfortunately, it can sometimes take weeks or months or even years before you see the results that you wanted to see. And, you know, people ask me often that, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm making money from selling books, you know, if I'm making money from a podcast and I will always tell them I've been doing this for 13 years, first seven years as a, as, as strictly selling amusement equipment. And then another six years as a blogger and a podcaster at this point, I'm at what I call sustainable. I'm not getting rich. I don't, uh, I don't have the money to buy your BMW, but then I'd have to find somebody to drive it for me because they don't have the driverless cars yet. And I don't have a lot of, you know, extravagant needs or wants. My, my main thing is, as I tell people, my primary source of income is connecting people with opportunities, usually opportunities to be on podcasts or radio shows and occasionally TV shows. And that allows me to support my writing, blogging, podcasting, traveling, and speaking habits. Well, and that's a, a beautiful way to put it because I think most people don't, most people that I know now didn't start what they're doing to be a gazillionaire. Like there was a, a connecting point and they wanted to make an impact and maybe leave some kind of a legacy. And it seems that in that process, money can follow. And but if you didn't make some of those micro decisions or just jump into it, you, where, you know, where would you be now? Like, I'm thinking about things like the fact that you, well, before I say that, I'm going to say that whole decision piece. Um, there's a woman named Katrina Ruth that talks about the decision and that manifestation is a practice and a decision every single day. And I think that falls in at, so much of what we do to get better is a practice and a decision. Without it, you wouldn't be where you are. And the difficult things in our lives help us bring our message forth, I believe. And so where would you be without the things that you've experienced that you can now bring to light? And when I heard like that you interviewed um, JLD, John Lee Dumas, I was like, <laughs> how the heck did he manage that? But see, that's by accident, cool. <laughs> by being, by being, by being, by being who I am, by asking, but really it was mainly I, uh, you want me to tell the story? Cause I think it's a cool story. I I'd love to know the story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's what happened. At PodFest in 2019, I became friends with Alex Sanfilippo. We both spoke at the Pentecucha. He basically chased me into the hallway because he knew after my talk on interdependence, he had to be my friend. That's his story. Uh, I don't think it was that extreme, but that's, you know, it's a good story, and I'm a storyteller, so I like it. Um, he interviewed John Lee Dumas for his podcast, which is a business-based podcast, and me being a good friend of Alex, I was sharing the interview on social media and John Lee or one of his people, you know, you can never be sure on social media. who's replying to you. Somebody, somebody at the John Lee Dumas team said, you know, they liked my post and thanked me for sharing the interview. And I replied back saying, well, you know, I would love to have you on my show if it weren't for the fact, I don't think you're a good fit because I don't think you've ever struggled with anything. 
<laughs> and, and, you know, for people who don't know John Lee Dumas, at this point in his life, he is one of the podcasting rock stars. He's one of the business world's rock stars. If you watch his, if you look at what he's doing now, there really isn't very much evidence that he's ever suffered adversity. It just isn't there in his, in his online persona right now. And that's what I was going off. I said, you know, it doesn't look to me like you've ever struggled. And he, he, he wrote back saying, well, what would you think about somebody who, you know, served in combat, lost four of his buddies in, in, in the war and uh, for years suffered with PTSD and even now sometimes has nightmares of like, he says, anybody like that? have ever really been uh, been tested. And I'm sorry about that, but if you want to come on the show, I would love to have you and we can, we can talk about this. And so he wrote back and he said, uh, yeah, here's my scheduling link. I want you to, I'll, I'll come on your show. And I look at the link. Did. That's not for effect. You can ask Alex Sedflipo the next time you see him. Uh, I thought about saying no, and then I talked to Alex at Podfest this year, and he said, so, well, Max, first off, John Lee doesn't say yes to many people. Mm-hmm. And second off, when he does, he won't give anybody more than 15 minutes. He said, so if I were you, I would go find that email and, and click the link, even if you have to dig it out of your trash folder, and schedule it. So I scheduled him. And, you know, you know me, I love to talk 15 minutes. That actually is anytime I have to do anything short, it makes me nervous. And sometimes it even, you know, messes with my day. So I did the interview, the first half of the interview, we talk about his service and how that affected him. The second half of the interview, we talk about him creating a podcast and how the first time he pressed record, his guest almost canceled because he was shaking so much. The, the papers he was holding could be heard could be heard rattling on the microphone. So, you know, this is a guy who, when he pressed record for the first time, he was just as scared as everybody else. And I was really happy that, you know, that we got to talk about those sorts of things that uh, are part of his history, but not part of his present. And I, and I kind of feel like more people would, would be even more motivated and challenged by John Lee if they knew more about where he came from, but he kind of doesn't talk about that too much uh nowadays and that's so i i basically i think i made him mad and i really wasn't trying to book him because he you know he for a show that's about people who overcome adversity and thrive in difficult life circumstances which is what my show is about he really doesn't fit until you find out more about john lee before he was john lee dumas or before he was jld so i been very blessed to have him on the show uh, I wish more people would watch the episode because considering the challenges of trying to interview a famous person and do it in, in 15 minutes, I think it's one of my best interviews ever. But basically I, I asked, you know, I asked that question instead of thinking to my, you know, a lot of people, they would have seen him and they, and they would be thinking to themselves, you know, this guy is a, is a, you know, he's one of the stars. He's really killing it. Um, I, 
I would love to know about whether he, you know, has ever had any adversity in his life. But, you know, if I ask him, will he answer me? You know, if I ask him to come on, on my show, will he say, will he say yes? Or will he laugh at me for even asking? And, you know, I've basically come to the conclusion that no doesn't scare me. I've been told no a whole bunch of times in my lifetime, so it doesn't bother me anymore. But, yeah, it basically came down to asking. Yeah, I asked kind of in a backhanded way, not really ex- expecting that kind of answer and had to be talked into interviewing him. But a lot of times in life, that's really what it comes down to is saying the things that you are thinking, asking those questions out loud, and then seeing where they take you. And, you know, the fact that I think most people have some kind of adversity and we aren't always willing to reveal it because we're afraid of being judged for having it. And I have to say that I went to uh, like a, a thing that John Lee Dumas did about starting your own podcast about a year and a half ago. And what was really cool about that is that he was doing the presentation in this masterclass and I believe it's his girlfriend was there managing some of the comments and we, all of us in there, were actually having this conversation online with this like person who's like the ah of podcasting. And it was really amazing to connect with someone at that level. And I can totally see being intimidated by the request, but what really resonates for me and just hearing you talk about the story is I know that he is a veteran and I am a veteran as well. And so there's that connecting point that you realize that maybe they aren't as different as you. And so it's, I think it's healing and I think it's helpful for people to hear the true story behind the the success you know because that that struggle somehow surviving those adversities are what gave him more resilience i think to keep going and our someone else that i really enjoy is annette wittenberger and she she is about uh, you know our mess is our message and so given that i deal with hoarding and clutter and stuff and mental clutter it just makes it total like yes our mess is our message and if we can figure out how to move through that then it can be something i i tend to think of it as fertilizer to grow a garden (laughs) (laughs) have have you been on have you been on the net show yes i have actually okay i wasn't sure yeah i was i was lucky enough to spend some time with her last month and she's a she has a she has a real uh she has real talent for what she's doing. and uh, Yes, it's astounding how, how you can move through so many things. And her story is amazing. And just like a couple years ago, she was having to go through learning how to walk again, basically. I mean, she yeah. went she, through. She, she credits that car wreck, though, with saving her life and, and allowing her to become the person she is now. And that she doesn't believe that she would would have ever been able to uh, to to become the better version of herself if it hadn't been for that accident. So, 
And that's the thing where you don't realize how much growth can come out of things. And I, mine was not that extreme, but I was in a place a few years ago where I had to file for a necessary divorce. And that's what I call it because it was necessary for my own mental health and well-being. And if I had not made that decision, I don't think I would be here today talking with you like this because things like that make you face your reality or what you thought was true. And I see that with Annette as well, where she what went through all these things and emotions and things and basically was like, okay, like, I guess I'm here for a reason. And I can relate to that. Like, okay, I guess I'm here for a reason. And it never crossed my mind ever when I was growing up that I would talk about hoarding publicly or clutter or try to change that conversation because I can't a hundred percent say this, but I know that the reason a lot of times people don't talk about mental health challenges is because of the stigma and the fact that if you get help or treatment or anything, like you're less than. And so that's part of what the magic that Annette brings is that she is leaning in to talk about, about that, about depression, PTSD, combat trauma, suicide. I mean, there is this need in our society to talk about this stuff and do it in a way that's healing, not a negative, put down, you're broken kind of way. We're all broken in some way. It's just not as always as obvious to the outside eye. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the one thing I would tell people who are considering, you know, sharing their stories is, is that, I don't know anybody personally, and I've been online for 13 years. I have a, a, a wide network on online, uh, both directly and through social media. I can give you story after story of people who have shared difficult trauma and life experiences who that has made them compelling, relatable, real to the people that now follow them online. I cannot think of a single example where somebody talked about mental illness or rape or physical disability uh, or, or even those who have talked about, uh, about problems with, with, with racial uh, d discrimination or, or sexual. I can't think of a single person that has decided to tell their story where people thought less of them. Most everybody that I know that I've come across, that I've interviewed for my podcast, or that I've set, I've talked with after I've been on their podcast, it's people were more uh, respect, re receptive, more friendly, more understanding than they could have ever hoped for because they decided to share their story and do it in an honest, humble manner where they let people know they're not doing this to become famous. They're doing this because they don't want other people to have to suffer through the same things they have. Right. And that it's such a connecting point when you start to figure that out. And I think that it, in there's this concern when you're online or you're a personality or something that whether or not you're authentic, like, are you the same person you are online as you are in person? And I, I am very blessed that I have met a lot of people through the Vetpreneur tribe 
who are exactly the same as they are in person as they are online. And it was a goal of mine to be completely authentically me no matter what. And that can be hard to do if you're wearing a lot of different hats, working for other people, you know, fitting into their little expectations and then releasing yourself from that and stepping into your journey, your blog, your entrepreneurial ventures, your podcast, whatever it is, if you step into it and start owning it, you bring in more people that are owning their stuff. And it, it creates some energy, even in a Zoom room, even on a call like this or a recording, it creates an energy that I have not found anywhere else ever. When you are being totally authentically you and you're accepted for that and you're accepting other people, it's it's something I have never experienced until I started exploring business things. It, I had never felt like I had a tribe until that happened. And so. Well, uh, that's one thing I've been telling people for years. And that is if, if more people knew how, you know, there, there are a few, there are a few bad examples, but if more people knew how supportive and encouraging the online world tends to be that, everybody would have a blog or a podcast or a website or all three. Right. And now, especially now when so many of us are still like we're bat housebound in some ways for a lot of things that there's so much positive that you can find if that's what you're looking for, which I know that's kind of something you mentioned in the beginning of this conversation where you started to call in what you were looking for. And I think, you will find what you seek and you may as well look for something positive and uplifting. Right. And I, I agree with you. Another thing I have learned over the years is there's a famous quote. I think it's probably from, uh, from, from India or Thailand or somewhere down there that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And the one thing I've, uh, that I've really hope more people will realize is that, Teachers don't always look like teachers. You know, sometimes they could be the garbage man or the police officer or a, in, in some cases they could even be that person that's homeless that you see on a regular basis. They could be the cashier, the Uber driver, the medical transportation person. There are so many people out there who have lessons to teach us if we, you know, slow down and talk to other people like they're people. And eventually we will run into those who have these, these great, this great wisdom to share with us. But quite often we ignore people with wisdom because they don't look like teachers. And that it's so valuable to treat every person you come across as a person, as a human, as valuable, period. Like there's no qualifying for value. You are a valuable, worthy person, period. And I think we don't get that message often, but there's so many negative things, especially when you're younger. And there's so many things that you, you're trying to find your way, but there's so much negative input that you don't consider that you're valuable. Like you think you have to do something to qualify and you don't. And I appreciate every, like now I appreciate everyone who is doing what they're doing. You know, the other day I had, Usually when I buy eggs, right, I will check them to make, open it, make sure they're not cracked. Well, I did that quick and went through the, the store line. And the cashier 
she opened it and looked and she's like, look, there's like three cracked eggs. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even catch that. And so I'm like, she's like, you can go get another dozen. I said, yeah, but I don't want to hold up your line. She's like, that's okay. I have to check the rest. Go ahead. So I, I ran and got a, a new one. And, you know, it, most of the time they don't check at that level. And the fact that she chose to do that it was just like, I felt really taken care of in that moment by the cashier. And so I, I see people like that double bag the groceries and you don't ask, but they can see it's heavy or um, there, there are people that go out of their way. And if you're looking, you'll see it. You'll see that no matter what role someone is playing, like there are a lot of people that go above and beyond. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I before bef before we finish, I think one of the things you wanted me to talk about was the whole asking for help. You said out of the yes, like you have yeah. your three core principles, and one right. of those is asking for help. So, just tell us, you know, what's the best way for someone to do that? Right. Well, first, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, about why people don't do it, and hopefully, share a couple of thoughts that will free them from the fear of asking for help. And the truth of the reason, it, truth of the matter is most people don't ask for help or for opportunities because they fear how they are going to look. Uh, when you ask for help, it's, I'm going to look weak. People are going to think less of me. They're not going to want to do business with me. Uh, they are not going to want to be friends with me. So I have to try to figure out a way to do all of this stuff by myself with, without their help. And with opportunities, people are afraid they're going to look egotistical. People are going to think, well, you must think really highly of yourself that you think that I should give you this job or this interview or uh, this book project. So a lot of it is fear and, and placing the emphasis on ourselves. And if you can get to the point where you can put the emphasis on the other person, then that will help a lot as far as freeing you to being willing to ask for help. And what I like to tell people is that when you refuse to ask, you rob the other person of the joy they would have received from helping you. And I usually like to say that twice. When you refuse to ask, you rob the other person of the joy they would have received from helping you. So in effect, you're making the other person's day harder by not taking advantage of their knowledge, experience, or talents. And the other thing is, think about it this way. When you do something nice for somebody else who can do nothing for you but say thank you, how good does that make you feel? And for most of us, it makes us feel better about ourselves. We can turn a crappy day into a pretty good day just by doing something simple and nice for our neighbor or our family member. And a few summers ago, I realized I could make a big difference in my own household just by refilling the ice trays. You know, so... The question is, is when you need help, if there's something you're struggling with, there are going to be people you know who they are the experts. And if you go to that person and go, hey, I know that you are the expert. You know all about this stuff. You've spent years learning this stuff. I'm struggling with this and I need help. Would you please help me? And if you ask sincerely, most people will help you or they will, uh, they will decline you in a, in a polite, nice way. Uh, most of the time, though, people have said yes, and they will say yes to you as well. If they can't help you themselves, a lot of times they will refer you to somebody else. And so 
the real thing is, is are you going to continue to make things harder on yourself to fight against your yourself towards accomplishing your goals because you think you should have to do it all by yourself? And the one thing I've learned about this whole area is, is that we weren't meant to do these things, important things, we weren't meant to do them by ourselves. If we allow other people to be part of the journey and help, it becomes more fun, more enjoyable, and we get there a whole heck of a lot faster. So I hope that will help people as far as re releasing themselves from the fear of asking for help. And then I, I like to tell people there's two levels to this. Asking for help is hard, but compared to accepting help when it's offered to you, it's, it's pretty easy. I like to think of the accepting help from others as like the graduate level of this whole area. Because most people, if somebody comes along and says, I want to, you know, I'm going to do this for you. The response is, well, who the heck do you think you are? You know, what makes you think I need your help? I'm doing just fine here, by the way. Thank you very much. Now go bother somebody else who needs your help. So, you know, we have a real problem with ego when it comes to people who offer to help us. But the truth is, you did ask. You just didn't ask out loud or directly. And there are so many ways that we ask for help. Uh, sometimes it can be through prayer or meditation or positive affirmations. We can be asking for help. Sometimes it's through an email or a phone call. Sometimes you are talking with a friend or somebody who knows you well, or you are communicating with people on social media who are naturally intuitive who will notice when you're struggling with something, even if you aren't saying it out loud and overtly, they will uh, understand that you have a, a place where you could use some help and they will reach out to you. So that sometimes happens. I know uh, for me, one of the, the best ones that ever happened to me was when uh, Lorraine regularly visited my website after seeing one of my comments on somebody else's blog and noticed that the photos were appearing in the middle of my blog posts and making it hard for people to read my articles. And she reached out and said, you know, I know you don't realize this is happening, but it's very distracting. It's probably keeping people from reading your valuable content. And I'd like to help you. So we got on a Zoom call, or excuse me, then it would have been a Skype call. And she helped me figure out that it was just one setting in my blog software that was, was putting the photos in the wrong place and we fixed it. And then, you know, later she became my editor for my books. So that was one of those times where I could have said, eh, why, you know, I don't need her help. Why, you know, I could have been offended by the fact that this total stranger reached out to me. Uh, she did make the request, to, you know, she did offer to help me in a very positive, friendly, loving way, but, you know, depending on what kind of mood somebody's in on a, at a particular time, even a very friendly offer to help can be seen as offensive, as a threat to your ego. So again, we need to think about the other person. We need to realize that they had to show a lot of courage to decide to offer to help somebody that they didn't know, that they've never talked to before, in an area that uh, they notice you have a problem with, but maybe you don't know yet that you have a problem with. It's very difficult. And we have to remember that person showed a lot of courage and also showed a lot of love for somebody that is at that point is, is a stranger or close to it to them. So when people offer to help you, the best thing to do is to just say thank you. And the important part about that is to me saying thank you involves applying their advice. 
using their suggestions, implementing their strategies. Because it's one thing to just, it's one thing to say thank you. That doesn't really mean anything or do anything. But if you adopt their advice and incorporate it into the way you do things, that's how you really say thank you. So it, we, have to, we have to free ourselves from the fear of asking for help. We have to divorce ourselves from the ego when people offer to help us. And we have to find as many ways as possible to say thank you, to be sincerely grateful when, uh, when somebody does reach out. Yes, and, and there are so many people that have reached out to me at one point or another where I didn't think anybody noticed. And then they, they proved that my thought wrong. <laughs> they did notice <laughs> and they did reach out and they did help. And learning to be able to say thank you and leaving it at that it, and not over over analyzing why someone's helping just be grateful and so how do how do people find you um what's the best way for people to to get a hold of you right well they can go to the blindblogger.net that's the blindblogger.net they can send an email to just ask at the blindblogger.net they can find my podcast, What's Your Excuse, by asking Alexa and Google to play it for them. They can also find the podcast on uh, Roku at Knob TV, K-O-N-E-B-TV. But the main thing is, is pretty much everything goes back to the website, theblindblogger.net. And hopefully some of your listeners will reach out to me. They'll share some of their experiences. Maybe they'll, uh, they'll tell us their stories and we'll decide that they should be a guest on one or both of our podcasts or if nothing else, uh, it's always great when somebody takes the time to let us know as hosts that they're listening because quite often we do this work not knowing the effects we're having on people. So, you know, just a little note saying, hey, uh, that was really, really great what you did, you know, having Max on your show or, you know, just... Those kinds of things that we can do for the hosts uh, or for other people in our lives that are involved in creative processes help us overcome the creator's isolation by uh, by let us letting us know you're looking. You know, even if even if that's the extent of it, that's a big thing to know that people are hearing us, seeing us, and that some of them are being affected for the better. That's all most of us really need in order to keep going. That is so true. The encouragement um, can make all the difference. So thank you so much for being on today and for sharing so many great insights. Well, thank you so much for having me, for reaching out to me. I, I said before we pressed record that I wasn't exactly sure how I fit into the, the theme of your show, but um, obviously you knew better and we've had a great conversation and hopefully some of the things I've, I've shared today will be able to help those people struggling with uh, with hoarding, as well as those people who are family members, coworkers, employers of people struggling with hoarding. And I I believe that that will be true. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs>